Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is episode 255 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again uh, by Paul and the reverse jinxer Ryan, who uh, single-handedly stopped the Brewers from getting perfect games. So there's that. How How, how is that going, Ryan? I mean, I don't even know, because like, if you leave a game where the bad thing is happening... Does that reverse jinx it? Like, I, I would think that that would actually just like extenuate that. Like, I don't even, I don't even care. Like, it was, it wasn't <laughs> going to be a real perfect game anyway because at worst, it was going to be a combined perfect game, and there was no way Scherzer was going deeper. Like, we knew that. We saw Seth Lugo warming during the sixth, and we're like, ah, all right, fine. Otherwise, you guys would definitely be podcasting without me right now because I would not leave a, an actual <laughs> legit perfect game shot in, in yeah. There's, there's no way I would leave that. But, you know. This will probably never happen, but I, I'm really always looking forward to the first time that it comes up where it's possible to lose a perfect game now, which yeah. was, it was never possible before, but it is possible now like it, because of the zombie runner. Zombie runner, yeah. Oh, you're because right. If you go to extras with a perfect game and there's a guy on second and you, you record two outs via ground balls or whatever and they score the Sack run, fly or whatever, game's yeah. over. Um, you can you can actually have an a, a, I mean I don't know how you call it a not perfect game. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe your offense not scoring a run. I mean, perfect games right. are not all on the pitcher. You know, errors ruin perfect games. So maybe that's just the argument there is that you didn't score a run and you went to extras, so it's not perfect. But I mean, from a pitching perspective, you can have you know twenty nine up and or, yeah twenty nine up twenty nine down and still lose the thing and um, never true. never do anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, That's can amazing. you imagine, just picture the immolation that would happen on Twitter as that was happening? Like, yep. it, like what would happen in that case if somebody took a perfect game that was scoreless like that and ended up losing it because of the, the zombie runner? Uh, like, you just I mean, the internet like, would be apoplectic. It would be... I mean, it would be the yeah. greatest thing in baseball, his, baseball Twitter history. Like, by far, there would be nothing close to it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a, a perfect game, but wasn't it the Reds or somebody who lost while throwing a no-hitter earlier this year? I feel like that happened. I think they did. Um, yeah. That happens with yeah. some routine. Like, it's not unprecedented. Yeah. There's a lot of guys on base during a no-hitter a lot of the time. You know, a lot of walks. A lot of... Think about Juan Nieves. He could have lost that thing like 10 times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. The, the Edwin Jackson no-hitter. Yep. May oh, he... God not rest in peace but he retired so yeah uh there was that one but yeah i I guess i was kind of looking forward to this too because then we get into uh pedantic baseball arguments which i love which isn't a perfect game if it's not a single pitcher so i don't know how you guys feel about that i say no i think just by definition like you know you needed really perfect you know yeah yeah i mean whatever i said last year about the the combined no hitter for the Brewers, whatever. Just roll, <laughs> roll tape. Go back to that. And whatever, that. whatever I said. I'm not yeah, going to try yeah. to remember what I opined at the time, but whatever I said then, it goes for now. I'm still like mildly shocked that the Brewers haven't pulled off like a combined perfect game at this point, just because of the strength of the starting pitching and the usual strength of the bullpen. Maybe not this yep. year, but last think, year. You know, I think with. With Hater gone and and you know Hater no longer Hater maybe maybe he's back but that that ship's probably sailed I think 
you know, the perfect storm there was, you know, Burns, and then you, you hand it off to one reliever who gets through clean, and then you hand it off to the two studs at the back end. Totally, totally plausible, um, but I think that's kind of, that's sailed now. Not happening. Yeah, especially once Corbin Burns gets traded this winter, right? Exactly. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that. we got a question about that. Uh, and that's a nice segue into a reminder. If you'd like to help support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. You get question priority at that level. And we had someone ask that question as a patron. So we'll get to that later on in this podcast. But that also applies to all the podcasts on the network, including reporting as eligible yep. uh, with Paul. And it's getting to the point where you kind of need to be a patron to get that question <laughs> asked. Had, had 14 patron questions last week. That's a lot of questions. So A lot uh, of questions, the, the yeah. Pickens getting slim for Twitter and Discord. There you go. So there's that incentive to sign up there. Uh, also, at the $5 level, you get the extra podcast content. You get the reporting as eligible mini pods and uh, Ryan's minor league extra with James Anderson from Rotowire as well. So uh, coming on the end of the minor league season there and Paul's mini pods, always a good listen, uh, previewing the Packers game every single week. Um I, I'm kind of nervous that they're going to get thrashed by Tampa, but hey, Mike Evans getting suspended is good news for the Packers. Yeah, they might have no receivers. That would be nice. Um, Chris Godwin and, and Julio Jones both missed last week. They're, they were both close. I think that they might play, um, but you never know with Julio, who usually one week turns into multiple weeks with him, though it wasn't his hamstring, so maybe not. Um, but uh, it's not a great matchup for him, so we'll talk about that on the football podcast, not here. Yes. But yes. Tampa's kind of their... It hits all their weak spots, so it's a tough game for them. Plus, it's in Florida, so it's an automatic loss for Aaron also, Rodgers. Not great in Florida, also true. <laughs> all right. Uh, we will be sure to keep an ear out for that one as well, wherever you get your podcasts. But hey, uh, turning to the Brewers, I guess considering the strength of the opponents in the last week, uh, things could have gotten kind of ugly for their playoff hopes, but they didn't. They actually split two games with the Cardinals and then took two out of three from the Yankees, which was a mild surprise to me. Uh, but again, I, it was like the Yankees were judging the scrubs and, and their pitching's not great. Um, not good that Frankie Montas is is hurt again. Kind of happy the Brewers didn't trade for him now. Indeed. But, uh, besides the point, um, but the Brewers entered Monday two games out of the final wild card spot behind Philadelphia, who now holds the sixth seed. Currently, and like the Padres, the Phillies have the tiebreaker over the Brewers, so that's important to remember. It's still more like three games, and that was before the Brewers started getting the tar beat out of them on uh, Monday night by the Mets. So I, eh. I do feel like this season exists partially to make me hate the tiebreaker versus the, yeah. mm -hmm. the, the play-in game. Like the, the Brewers lost it so quickly. I feel like they haven't had the ability to get the tiebreaker for like three months now. It's just right. been decided for them, and like if this was any other season, you'd be like, well, then they can get to the playing game and maybe play their way in. Like, no, that's just done. You just have to win one extra game. It's annoying. It's a stupid rule. Baseball made baseball worse there. They were done with the Phillies in like May, weren't they? Like, yeah, it was mm -hmm. a long time quick. ago. Yeah. Ugh, it was right during the run where they just couldn't lose because they had just fired Joe Girardi. So I think it might have been <laughs> early June, but it was, yeah. yeah, it it definitely was a long time ago, and that hardly seems relevant to where they stand now. And that whole thing is just is stupid and annoying. Yeah, it's dumb. But I guess 
gives you incentive to care about series in April and May now because, hey, you never know when that tiebreaker is going to come back and bite you at the end of the season. But uh, still plenty of baseball left to be played. The Padres still play the Dodgers a million times. So um, and the Brewers are looking mostly competitive. Of course, I wrote this before. Again, the Mets just kicked the tar out of them on Monday night. But uh, the Mets are really good. And that's why the Brewers should try to tank to get the sixth wild card spot, in my opinion. But we can talk about that, too. <laughs> um, but hey, they were at least competitive for most of the weekend, uh, including the Yankees game, even that Sunday game, which got a little wild, uh, but still exciting. Kind of leads us to our first Patreon question here. It comes from PJ Wessels asking... Was this week a week of false hope, or could something happen? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Uh, just Is this kind of like the last bounce before the end here, or are they kind of showing you a little something? So uh, there, it's not – it could be worse, and it's – no, it's not the end because they're still pretty close, and, like, the Padres have a pretty hard stretch coming up. They play the Cardinals next, I think, right? They do. That's, that's not easy. Um, and the Phillies, I think, have like a at least they have the Blue Jays next, I think, if memory serves, which is not easy, also not super hard, but um, like it's not too bad. They're still definitely in it. I think they're gonna like be fringy till the very end here. And you know, when you're like a little run away from getting in, that's hope. It's fine. They're they're not they're not dead at all. They're pre- they're still in pretty good shape, all things considered. I'm not like long on their playoff hopes for sure because they still have a lot of problems. But yeah, this is still going. It's still okay. Yeah, that's exactly where I would put them too. It is funny before we move on. Uh, what did they end up finishing against the AL East? Like twelve and four, twelve and five. Yeah, I think it was. I guess one uh, of the four best... losses. Yeah, four losses. Okay. Four. Yeah. Yeah. So against one of the best divisions we've ever seen. The, this year's AL East is one of the best divisions we've ever seen, though the Red Sox falling off probably hurts that, you know, substantially. Yeah. But the, the Orioles have been way better than expected. And, you know, Tampa Bay and Toronto are both in playoff position and the Yankees are, you know, not looking like the 115 win juggernaut that they were at one point. But they're still looking like they're going to be a, a team that gets a buy. And so, I mean looking at that division and how good they are and then the fact that the brewers did what they did against those teams it's a wonderful monument to the insanity the stupidity the randomness that is baseball <laughs> yeah really more than anything yeah. it's just like and and it also just goes to show that like the idea of well you can't beat good teams or they can't beat good teams or whatever like no, that that stuff's pretty much just nonsense. It's usually noise. Yeah. There's there's generally like maybe the offense isn't as good against above 500 teams, and that's I, I think that's going to still bear out over the full season, right? Like, yep. That's, that's a weird thing. Like, yeah, you, you know how the Brewers finish up like with all of their games at home. Um, mm-hmm. The Phillies are the opposite of that. It's not a super hard schedule, but the Phillies play their last 10 games on the road, which seems bizarre. Like, I don't remember any season ending with like 10 game homestands and road trips before, but that is the case here. And it's not like I said, it's the Nationals are four of that. So it's not like super hard. The Cubs are three, but they have the Astros to finish out the season and they have Atlanta mixed in there for four games like it's 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 hard and it's on the road for a ton so it's like a lot could go wrong for them and the phillies are by no means a perfect team either they have their own stupid struggles for long periods of time too this is anything but done um yeah 
and this I, this is a dumbest baseball schedule. I hadn't looked at the Padres <laughs> schedule in a while. The Padres have the opposite, of course, too. They, they, I think they have ten at home to finish the season. One, two. Yeah, I mean, nine, so nine at home. What? This is dumb. Baseball's stupid. Like, why well, did they schedule blame the like lockout? This? You know? Yeah, this so, is like, the, because of the lockout. Everything. All right, yeah. fine. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> basically, they had to take and and put on the end of the season whatever you know that that first series was or one of those first two series so if you're like the brewers you had six games at home those all got moved towards either the end of the season or that's how we ended up with that double header against san francisco yeah. a week or two ago so yeah that's just that's mostly lockout stuff but yeah i mean the brewers were scheduled to end on seven straight home games to end the year and now it just turns into 10 so and the phillies were scheduled to end with six straight on the road now it turns into nine so, yeah, it's just I at this point, I almost don't even it, it's weird. It's I think I kind of gave up a little while ago and I didn't even realize when I did it that I was just sort of like, OK, whatever happens here is fine. I'm just <laughs> I'm OK right. with whatever the, the outcome is. And so I almost feel like we're playing with house money at this point in a way that maybe. I guess I felt in 2008 where it was just like, okay, they're out of it. They're done. It's over with. And then they made that run. And granted, you very much get into it because once it comes down to those last days and you've got the 26 years and all of that. But still, there was a point, I think, where I emotionally checked out. And I'm not even sure quite when it was. But it was a little while ago now where, like, I was just sort of like, okay, whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to get too fussed about it. And that's. I guess I didn't even realize it was happening when it happened. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. I mean, like, honestly, too, I've admittedly been kind of tuned out for like the last month or so, too, you know, just because, hey, they're not fun to watch. So why am I going to waste my time <laughs> with this crap team kind of thing? But, hey, they're still in it. So I still have a passing interest. Plus, like, I watch most of the Yankee series because that's an opponent. It's different than having to watch a freaking brewers cardinals game for the yeah. 18th time this or year right like that's game, new. like Ugh. yeah Blah. exactly so you know that was still fun and and it was a fun atmosphere at amfam this weekend because all the yankees fans were there which you know you can have your own opinions on but at least they brought some energy to the place right i feel like that's part of it too like the stadium itself hasn't had a buzz and i feel like the players maybe kind of responded to that too over the weekend so it was at least a little bit more fun and yeah i don't know yeah. Um, you know, sneak in, get the sixth spot, beat the Cardinals in the first round. I'll be a happy guy. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that would be excellent. That would be a, a fantastic, like, what, 90th percentile outcome, 95th percentile yep. outcome? Yeah, probably still worse than what we were expecting of the team at the start of the year. But, hey, we can save that for our season review in a few weeks. Um, one thing too, we want to mention, I guess, and maybe this is a good thing for the playoff push as well, but it sounds like some of the, uh, pitching injuries that we talked about the last couple of weeks may start to, uh, resolve themselves before the end of the season. I know the reports on Eric Lauer were pretty good. They're hoping to maybe get him back before the end of the year. Uh, Freddie Peralta might be a little bit different story, but they're at least both eligible to come back soon. And on Tuesday, uh, Aaron Ashby is going to be back. So, that's kind of encouraging to see, too. Um, I don't know if you guys heard on Monday night, they had David Stearns in the booth, and he he was assuring everybody that Aaron Ashby's shoulder injury was not structural. It was more just fatigue because he's thrown more this year than he ever has before. 
Uh, which again, still shoulder injuries, kind of scary. Yeah, mm-hmm. but hey, at least he hasn't uh, structurally screwed it up yet. So there's that. Um, yet, but James, on the plus side, yet. yes, that was yes. The, the fact you that know. you worked that yet in there that is uh, that is some prime Brewers angst right there. Listen, man, pitchers are born to get hurt and break our hearts. They really that's, are. That's all. They are. They are. Um, but hey. Ashby starting on Tuesday, so at least it won't be a bullpen game against the Mets, which terrified me at the thought of that. But um, I guess, Ryan, does him coming back kind of uh, boost your expectations or hopes a little bit, just knowing that there's an actual starter now in the five-man rotation? Or how do you feel about that? Yeah, that is exactly what it is. It's not really... I I don't know that I have huge expectations of him. Though if he could just go through the lineup twice maybe give you a four and two thirds or something like I, that would be fantastic. Just that, that is all I'm asking for. I'm not getting greedy here, not asking him to go, you know, 90 pitches and like all that. Like if he could just get through the lineup twice and hand over a game that's still competitive at that point, I will be happy. And the Lauer thing, I think, yeah, Lauer is eligible to come off. The 23rd, I believe, 22nd, 23rd, somewhere in there. So not too long. Like, I believe theoretically it could happen this weekend in Cincinnati if he's ready to do it. So that is definitely a good thing. Also, compared to what they've been running out there, um, either bullpen games or Jason Alexander, these are these are clear upgrades. So this is what you you hope for. But. I don't know that the expectations on it should be kept pretty minimal because we just don't know what you're going to get. And even though they say there's no structural damage, but like <laughs> fatigue, when they when they could say it's like specifically in the shoulder, that just means that like they can't find the thing that's causing the problem. Right. I mean, right. fatigue's not magic, you know. Fatigue means some kind of weakness in the shoulder. That's what you know, scares it, me about Freddie. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's just fatigue over and over again with that shoulder yeah and people somebody asked me this weekend like should they just shut these guys down should they just do it and the the answer is i'm not a doctor (laughs) and i haven't looked at them (laughs) so you can't really say you just sort of have to go with whatever they're doing and they have been so cautious and they have been so quick to just shut guys down and to to preserve these guys and so I don't think they're they're being reckless and bringing people back. I think they have the best interest of them long term in mind. But it, part of this is like you just said, pitchers are made to get broken. They're they're made to get hurt, and <laughs> you just sort of have to expect that that's going to be part of the deal. What happened last year with the Brewers is the exception. That is the rare yeah. thing to have happen. Is when you go through yeah. a season like they did last year, where they basically they get almost all their starts out of their top six guys, and that just that doesn't really happen. That's not a nope. thing that happens very often. So I could what, what was I thinking of the uh, the two thousand and one Seattle Mariners? I think like had six guys start games for them all season, and then one hundred and sixteen games. Even though that starting rotation wasn't particularly good, lineup was good. But that basically having that freak occurrence, having that good of pitcher health with reasonable good pitchers, uh, that was why they were able to be as good as they were. And so in general, you have to expect less than that. Yeah, I mean, that that's very true, too. And I think something else that David Stearns kind of mentioned on Monday, he did kind of bring up that 
yeah, they they were kind of fortunate last year and this year that they've had to revert back to kind of the traditional five man rotation, which they didn't do at all last year. Right. They were able to stay in the six man. Everybody stayed extra sharp. And that, you know, even that, I think maybe might factor into something like Corbin Burns giving up more home runs this year because mm-hmm. he's going on five days instead of six days. And maybe that just drops his effectiveness a little bit, you know, like it, it all kind of adds up and, and It'll all be something that we kind of have to consider when we do kind of the postseason postmortem here mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the year. Yep. All right. I guess speaking of Corbin Burns, our next Patreon question comes from Matt Stein asking, with Burns' long-term future with the Brewers being in question, is a trade on the horizon? So this kind of stems from the Ad- uh, latest Adam McKelvey article that drew ire on Brewers Twitter. I feel like Adam's got a string of these the last few weeks here, whether it's comments from, you know, Eric Lauer or Lorenzo Kane. Now Corbin Burns said that, you know, he thought the Brewers were reached out for a contract extension by now, maybe last winter, and he hasn't heard squat. So of course that's got everybody kind of wringing their hands so, Ryan, when did the Brewers trade Corbin Burns? I guess we, we did this with Josh Hader for three years. Let's start yep. the Corbin Burns clock now. Yeah, I mean, it really could happen anytime. I think that people are right to point out, like Ruby did, that if you were to do it this winter, you would very likely face just a complete and utter revolt from the fan base. You would have an already angry and already uh, impatient group just get exasperated to the point of, I, I'm sure it would impact season ticket renewals and uh, ticket sales early in the season and all of that. So it would be a tough PR sell. It would be a hugely tough PR sell to do it as early as this winter. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't look at it because it might be the best time uh, if they've decided that they're not going to be keeping him. If it, if it is been decided that they're not going to do it, it then sort of does become a question. Well, are you going to take him to the end? Are you going to are you going to run out these last yep. two years and go to the end and then walk away with nothing, or are you going to do you know trade him at some point? And then it's just a question of when. And I don't think the answer is I don't think you can let Corbin Burns walk for uh, a draft pick. I, I don't think you can do that. Uh, so it does then sort of become a question of well, okay, if you're not extending him and We're not letting him walk for a draft pick. Well, now it's, you know, when does he get traded? Yep, that just puts the writing on the wall if that's the case. And it's only a matter of time. Yeah, and I think that it's important to point out that, as I seem to have to a lot, that uh, the Brewers under Mark Antanasio don't really have a history of this. People are like, oh, oh, another guy that Mark is going to be too cheap and, and let walk and whatever. And honestly, if you look at the history going back all the way to when Mark bought the team in 2005, the only player that they have brought up or even traded for young, who they have had for a considerably long time period, who they let walk after his, you know, six plus years expired and never extended, never did anything with beyond that was Prince Fielder. And that was a situation where Prince Fielder pretty early on hired Scott Boris and basically said, oh, no, I'm going to free agency. I'm going to free agency as quickly as possible. And so he sort of set that in motion. But every other player, Ricky Weeks, Corey Hart, um, Carlos Gomez, Jonathan Lucroy, Giovanni Gallardo, Brian Braun. 
<laughs> and then like obviously then you get to like the big guys ryan braun christian yelich all of these guys have been extended and kept around and so if you if you look at it like realistically the idea that the brewers have let a bunch of guys just like walk off or traded them because they couldn't sign them or whatever just it, it flat out isn't true and i i am excluding rentals like cc sabathia and zach grinke but I'm doing that because they were always short-term rentals. They were they yeah, came you to knew the deal. Well, and they came to the Brewers because their other team was a small market team that was not able to get them to agree to a long-term extension. So why would the Brewers be able to get them to agree to a long-term extension when they didn't yep. even have the history the way that, you know, Sabathia did in Cleveland and Grinky did in Kansas City? So this idea that like there's this long parade of guys who are just leaving, uh, it just it flat out isn't true and it this goes back now we're 17 years into mark Antonazio's tenure and the very first thing he did when he came in was extend ben sheets and that was a a, a signal to brewers fans that okay things are, are going to be a little bit different now things are going to be handled differently when they extended ben sheets like they did and frankly like so this idea of like if, if you have to do this, if this is what it is, it, it sucks, it's painful, but it's also, you know, like not really some sort of grand continuation of a long running trend because that trend simply doesn't exist. Yeah. And uh, sheets notwithstanding, it's a little bit new for them to have a bunch of top line starting pitching that they developed. <laughs> And, it, and if they right. do have a different philosophy about extending pitchers versus position players, that wouldn't be that weird. Pitchers mm -hmm. do not age as well as position players. Their careers end very quickly. They are injured very frequently. Um, and you really do get the most value out of them if you happen to develop them during the control period. So um, I won't be that surprised. And honestly, I don't know if I would pony up a ton of money for Corbin Burns, who... Um, you know, yes, he won a Cy Young and a, and a deserved one, but he's also bounced up and down a bit and he's not been as good this year. And, um, you know, there are mm -hmm. some occasional warning signs when things go wrong with him, too. I, I've talked about Woodruff before, where to me, at least at untrained scout, um, not at all. Uh, he looks like he is a very high effort pitcher. And I like I love the guy. He is a great competitor type pitcher. But I do also wonder if he's going to have great longevity as well. So, I, I mean, I don't know. But if they are a little more risk-averse with pitching than they are with hitting, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think that's pretty common. Also, it feels like, you know, the, the trend, at least recently, has been if they want to re-sign a pitcher, they'll do it super early, right? Look yep. at Freddie, mm -hmm. look at Ashby. Exactly. Like, those are guys that they locked up real early, and they didn't quite do that with Burns or Woodruff, Woodruff, although admittedly both of those guys kind of came on a little bit later. So <laughs> it wasn't like it was clear very early on that they were the guys that they wanted to lock in. So I don't know. It, who knows? There's still time to get those deals done. You know, the Lorenzo Cain contracts off the books this winter, all that fun stuff. So they might have money to do that. But then it's just a matter of how much money do you want to tie up on the payroll with between Yelich and one of the pitchers, right? So, I don't know. We'll see. Did you guys see I lost my goddamn mind and uh, started <laughs> playing with the uh, trade simulator? I saw that. You're messing with the trade machine. Yeah. What come up with, just for those who aren't on Twitter. Yeah, so I uh, 
because it, and this was a suggestion that was brought up to me was working with the Blue Jays because they're going to want a top line starting pitcher. And if you sent Corbin Burns over to the Blue Jays for you know those two years, could you get some sort of package built around catcher Alejandro Kirk, who is young, is 23 years old. He is a fantastic hitter. He is a fantastic defender at catcher. And you would then be able to add other pieces to it as well. I included Ricky Tiedemann, who is one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, top 50 <laughs> prospect at this point, or Elvis Martinez, who's a prospect who's the shines a little bit off of him, but he's still, you know, top 100 ish sort of uh, area. And then some middle infielder on their team that uh, whose name is oh Espinal Espinal and I, I worked it all out and like the trade value they gave was that Burns was worth ninety four whatever units they're using here and the package that I came up with was like ninety and I looked at this and I went yeah I do that like that does if you get a player like Alejandro Kirk back as the headliner along with some other good pieces doesn't that pretty quickly i i know that the initial headline and the initial reaction to it is going to be extremely negative it is going to be extraordinarily negative and people are not going to be happy and i get that and there's really no way around that like that's that's just part of the deal but don't you think that if you're getting somebody of the quality of alejandro kirk back as the headliner somebody who's going to step in and be a player for you immediately next year and probably be a pretty good player for you immediately next year doesn't that at least like this is you could you can sell this as hey this is a baseball think, trade? Yeah, I mean if you get good a good player or player and a half or two back, yes, that's fine. I think the fear is always that they trade him and we get back guys we've never heard of, and then we have to invent reasons to like them, which doesn't really happen for <laughs> top line guys, but does happen every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah, I mean for somebody of the quality of Burns, it shouldn't be that. Like it shouldn't I know. be. It shouldn't you wouldn't think that it would be and they don't have any pressing need i don't think to move him so i would think that they could just sort of walk away if they're not getting what they they want but mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see like the line this summer was you know from stearns we never made any outgoing calls about josh Hader. people came to us and you have to assume that with that out into the world now, teams are going to be calling about Corbin Burns, right? That they, you know, other people read Adam McAlvey too. It, it, it's not, you know, if if we know about it in the public, it's definitely known in the game. And so if they think that that's what's going on, teams are going to start calling about Corbin Burns, right? Like that is going to happen. Teams will start uh, knocking on the door because teams knock about everybody, but especially guys that have some sort of you know reason around them to be uh potentially asked about so i would think that the brewers would get significant interest would it you know now that it's known that corbin burns is potentially available i will say too david stearns in the booth on monday night spoke glowingly about corbin burns and how every time he takes the mound it's one of the best pitching matchups you can imagine especially tonight against max scherzer and all that he he was leaning hard into the the compliments for Corbin Burns, so maybe I don't know. Just reading between the lines, trying to smooth things over a little bit. What is the lowest extension you could imagine Corbin Burns signing this winter? <laughs> like how many years and like AAV wise, how big would it have know. to be to get him to? Because I can't see less than like six. Yeah, yeah. like like five or six. Six, six one twenty. 
I don't know. And it's well, that would be. I mean, that'd, that'd be, be a steal. Great steal. Yeah, that would be a steal. Like yeah. I can't see him. Why would he take less than thirty per? Once like, you have Cy Young, yeah, that becomes the line, right? <laughs> yeah, I feel like he would be asking for thirty per and at least five to six years. And probably, I mean, it sort of depends on who the agent is and how aggressive they are and all that. And I really don't know, but you would I think, think he's CAA, I think. But it would have to be like yeah. basically like they'd be asking for opt outs and you know, all that stuff yeah. too. And so it just it seems like there's no way you're getting a deal where you're going to be like, oh yeah, that's that's a good deal for Corbin Burns. Like you're getting you're getting a steal there, and. The Brewers' only experience under David Stearns where they haven't done that, uh, you have the Christian Yelich deal, the the second Christian Yelich <laughs> deal, and I yeah. guess you have the Kane deal, which ended poorly but was fine. You know, on balance, the Kane deal is perfectly cromulent. Like that's a, a fine signing overall. Mm-hmm. You're always gonna, it's always gonna be a little tricky at the end with guys like that. But yeah. that's also an indication why you would want to be careful about Burns because it always gets tricky at the end with guys like that. <laughs> especially ones that have shown to be uh homer prone except for one exceptional year so yeah i don't know indeed all right well speaking of the brewers being cheap uh mark <laughs> Podscarby's question <laughs> mark's question this week uh in 2016 chris carter hit 41 home runs with a 321 obp good enough for an 821 ops and a 0.9 war I love that stat line. Uh, and then he was non-tendered by David Stearns. Rowdy currently has 31 home runs when he wrote this. I think he's up to like 32 now mm-hmm. uh, with a 311 OBP at the time, which is a 772 OPS and a 0.8 yeah. war. There's no chance Rowdy gets non-tendered, right? Uh, no, Paul? they're totally. Uh, uh, yes, there is. Uh, <laughs> for, I mean, first baseman is like, they just go through them. It's, uh, like I think they'd probably like to have Rowdy back, but there are no guarantees with his profile and that stat line at first base at all. It, like if anybody better or comparatively the similar comes along and is cheaper, they will jump on that in an in- instant. They got no loyalty at that position. There is absolutely a chance he gets non-tendered. Yeah, this is my reaction too. I'm like, yeah, there's there's a chance that it happens. I think it's fairly unlikely because looking at so Rowdy was in arbitration year one this year, and that was at uh, he got just shy of two million, one point nine million. Figure he had a, a really good year. The home run total is going to uh, that's going to be a selling point to an arbitrator. They're probably going to need to go closer to four for him, four ish, maybe maybe slightly more than that and i don't think that's particularly onerous i don't think that's like a bad contract and they would look at that as like a problem to do that no that's still a decent bench bat right yeah Uh, it's still just a decent well it is especially now that you have both the dh and first base so (laughs) you could kind of work around in, in various ways here but it is definitely a possibility, and like Paul said, this team just – they love to shuffle through corner bats. You think about the corner bats that this team has had that have – they have just, you know, basically let walk away under David Stearns, who've hit 30 home runs. Uh, you already mentioned Carter, but you could also – and that was 40 home runs, but you could also look at Travis Shaw. Did Jesus Aguiar hit, ever hit uh, 30? You got close uh, if you didn't hit 30. There. I think I might have gotten there. I'd have to look it up. I will 
quickly look it up while we think of other people. Um, but the Chris uh, Carter one was fun for me though because I think that actually led the league and he got non-tendered, which was mm-hmm. amazing. And then I don't think he played Major League Baseball the next year. It was great. The DH yeah. helps Rowdy a lot, um, yeah. but like he still doesn't bring anything else to the table. Uh, you know, he's not a good defensive player. He can only play the DH and first base, kind of. It, they like versatility too. Like if even if they like find a, a competent, powerful-ish third baseman who can flip over to first, they'd probably do that. Um, Jesus hit tw- uh, thirty-five bombs in twenty eighteen for Milwaukee. So yep, he okay, did. yep, yep. That was the All Star year. Hundred eight driven in. 890 oh. OPS, 135 OPS plus. And he was on that team with Eric Thames as well. So you, yeah. there's, oh, yeah. there's another yeah, another, another, just like, there's another one. <laughs> yeah. Like they just go through these guys and don't get particularly wed to them. And so it could happen. I do. I mean, if you had to. Hey, Zeus. He just finished 16th in MVP voting. That yeah, year. that was a great year. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well, that's what happens when you have that late season run. Everybody's just like, hey, where can I throw my down ballot? ballot votes for just random brewers and and wasn't that funny because i think he was like mostly first half sensation that year and was kind of bad in the second half in 2018 wasn't right yeah that sounds right (laughs) he definitely had a one of those hair all-star appearance first half actually no i think it was uh in 2019 that was the hero year where everybody was like are they gonna keep aguiar or are they gonna like keep giving him plate appearances even though he was really struggling in the first half so yeah, it must have been 2018. He had a 9.95 OPS in the first half and a 7.60 in the second half. Okay, there you go. That's fair. So never ever get wed to these guys because, frankly, the Brewers do an, an outstanding job of finding these guys that you have never heard of before, and going, well, who's this guy, and why should I think this is going to be a thing? The same way that everybody thought about when they brought Rowdy Tellez in. Well, all the talk about Rowdy and everything, it, it may not matter because Jackson Churio is going to be in the majors next year, so he'll power the offense. Uh, your buddy Jay Google Ryan asking Jackson Churio got promoted to double A. How exciting is that? I was kind of surprised to see that, Ryan, but you think maybe it was more about just making sure he still gets competitive at bats to close out the year? Yeah, I think that's mostly what this is. It's it not even competitive at bats. At bats, period. The season for Double sure. A and Triple A is going on longer than the season for A ball. A ball's done, and Double yep. A and Triple A are still going for another couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's what this is: is just ensuring that uh, guys are going to get time like this and get in. And uh, so, yeah, I think this is about at bats. I'm not. Given that, I, I almost would have been expecting him to show up on the Arizona Fall League, and there's it's still possible he could show up on the Fall League rosters, but he we wasn't on the that, initial yeah. ones. Yeah, so he's not mm-hmm. on the initial release, and they do oftentimes guys like him will get added for like a random like week, and they'll just be like, "Yeah, Churio's here. He's going to play a little bit, and then we're going to uh, we're going to shut him down." So I think that this is it's partially about that, but also I think it is it it works well from a development standpoint because it's saying, hey, kid, here's the next level. And it's going to be a lot harder now than what you've seen to this point. Like these pitchers are a lot better than most of what you've seen to now. So, okay, here you go. This is a jump in competition. 
let's see how you do with it. If you if he does well, hey, he gets to go, okay, I was really crushing it against double A to end the season, and he gets to go into the winter feeling great. And if he struggles, that's also not the worst thing in the world because it's like, okay, well, this is a, this was a step up, and now you know that there is going to be an additional step up required here, and so it's additional motivation for the winter. So you can kind of like narrative wise this as you know purely a positive, whether he does well or does poorly, it kind of doesn't matter, and that's mostly just because when an eighteen year old makes it to, uh, to double A, that in and of itself is just a remarkable feat, and right. It, it you're sort of like it's almost like it doesn't even matter. It, so you guys both listen to Effectively Wild, and I'm sure many of yep. our listeners do too. And remember when they were talking about how like insanely uh, if, if you get plate appearances in the major leagues, like if you appear in a major league game as a 19 year old, that your chances of making the Hall of Fame were like. Wasn't it like almost 20%? Like 20% of the people that appear that young have ended up making the Hall of Fame. I think it was 20%, yeah. yeah. Like tracks, yeah. It is an insanely high number of people who appear that young because the only way you get to the big leagues at that age is if you are an insanely precocious talent. Transcendent, yeah. Yeah, like just (laughs) just an insane talent. And you're just like you're ready to go at at an extremely young age. So yeah, I, I think that it is extremely exciting and you could sort of take from it, whatever you want uh, going into the winter, but what's really going to matter is what it looks like the, over the first couple months in double a next year, because I'm telling you, if he gets off to, if he is hitting like a 900 OPS, a a 950 OPS at double a in the middle of May, the the cries for him to be brought yeah. up, not yeah. just from Brewers fans, not just from within, but from without. There will be people, the, the prospect watchers will be saying, it's time to unleash the next young superstar. And so I I hate to to hype things up this much, but like <laughs> we we haven't had this before. We this is really no. something new to us. Yeah. And it, we just I, I guess we just Sit back, enjoy it, and ride the roller coaster on it. That's what James Anderson always says when I ask him these questions about trying to downplay Cheerio. And it's like, now nah, man, just enjoy it. <laughs> like it's this is this doesn't come along very often. So just to have fun. I mean, when the national guys are starting to throw out the Acuna comp and stuff like that, yep. that's insane that to me. Yeah, and that's super exciting. And that is a franchise-altering player. Right, like yes, we sit here wringing our hands about what the Yelich contract's going to do. Six years of Churio at a cheap mm-hmm. rate fixes a lot of those concerns if he lives up to that. So, sure does. I don't know. I just got to see, but yeah, still definitely uh, very, very exciting to see him at least end the year at Double A there. All right. Uh, next question comes from Brian Polakowski asking Ryan had a nice Twitter thread about the upcoming prospects having better OBP approach a few nights ago. Where do you think Garrett Mitchell's numbers level out next year? It's still a little ugly with this small sample size when he wrote it, it was about a 200, 300, 314 slash mm-hmm. line. Uh, you know, Ryan, we talked about that, you know, so-called UCLA swing kind of came in handy against the Yankees in that first game, <laughs> that, a game, sure did. uh, but, you know, maybe that's kind of emblematic of that 
more contact OBP approach, right? That we kind of been talking about the last couple of weeks that might be coming up with the the Brewers prospects. So I guess for those of, of the listeners who are so smart to not be on Twitter, what, what did your Twitter thread say? <laughs> Basically, it was just talking about the fact that it is true now that the Brewers, at least developmentally, at least in terms of the guys they are selecting out of the amateur ranks, have, and I wouldn't call it an on-base approach. That's not what this is. An on-base approach is like what Jace Peterson does, which is high walks, relatively high strikeouts. Jace Peterson is over the league average in strikeouts uh, because he works a lot of deep counts. That's not really what they're going for with these guys. They're going for guys who very often are striking out as much as they're walking. Strikeout rates are really, really low. And -hmm. you can go back to Bryce Terang in 2018, and then really when you start looking at everybody taken in the top 100 since, these guys are, are pretty low strikeout guys. And so it's a it's a contact approach more than anything. And it is not necessarily some of them. Some of these guys, Tyler Black is, is a guy who will, who will take a, a bunch of walks. And I think Eric Brown is going to take a, a good number of walks. But a lot of these guys, like Sal Freilich is not a prodigious walker. Uh, Bryce Trang more of a walker you know, like but a lot of these guys aren't huge walkers so they're not going to be necessarily really high on base guys but they are high contact guys and this is a, a development philosophy that like eric longenhagen I, I pointed this out over the weekend when he was talking on podcast which highly recommend listen to last week's uh fan audio for his conversation with jeff passan for completely unrelated reasons you just need to listen to it it's very important but um to the point here the what the Brewers are doing is they're looking for guys who are going to put the ball in play and are not going to strike out a lot. And their hopes are that if they have those guys and they've picked the right guys, they can develop up the power and get those guys to be somewhat more of power hitters down the road. Like the platonic ideal of this is the Jose Ramirez example. Go back and look at Jose Ramirez's numbers in the minors. He was not hitting for any power at all, but he was an extreme contact hitter. And Cleveland turned him into like they, they modified him and they they made it like they 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 went with a breakout and he has become you know an MVP caliber talent and I think the Brewers are trying to do some of that I think maybe some of that was like what they were looking at with Mitchell if everything had worked right the problem with Mitchell is that his strikeout rates can actually be pretty high because his his swing is. It's it's line drive oriented, but it isn't necessarily contact oriented, if that makes sense. Uh, there are times when he gets very uh, choppy to the ball. I think you kind of actually saw that in that plate appearance. On. I was going to describe that. Yeah, that swing yep. is a very choppy swing, but it, it is lined it kind of right at up the middle. Right. So, yeah, he did. And but if you look at like in double A this year, um, Garrett Mitchell struck out 52 times in 187 plate appearances. Like that's not a low strikeout approach at all. That's yeah. that's well above average or that well is the opposite. Yeah, it's the opposite of that. So I think that there are there are some limitations to this and I think the expectations need to be that if it works, if you get it to work with like a certain guy, and I think you know the guys you're hoping it, it could click for guys like Brown and Black, Tyler Black, who is going to be in the Arizona Fall League, by the way, he's he's back healthy again, and that was nice to see. But those guys would be more, I think, of the the prototype of what uh, 
of what like that that Jose Ramirez example is as opposed to somebody like Garrett Mitchell because I I just don't know if this swing is going to long term be a swing of a starting everyday starting even center fielder given given yep. his other skills outstanding defense and all of that I'm still not sure that's a swing of a starting center fielder I just I have a lot of hesitation about that so I I think that the best thing to say about this is just like it's worth watching it's definitely a philosophy it is definitely 100% their philosophy and that long and Hagen 100% confirmed like this is what they're looking for and it's interesting but I do, th- I mean, we still have to wait and see kind of how it produces long term because this is this is a little bit different than what organizations generally have done. Yeah, Paul, I wanted to ask you just from like a, a fan, you know, approach, is, is that something you like to see is like the more contact oriented approach or I mean, the lineup seems broken now. So I mean, maybe this can kind of at least mix in some of those guys. I would like 80s or 90s baseball to return where people hit doubles and triples and bat 350 once in a while. But um, even if they do, you know, quote unquote, ban the shift, it's just not going to happen. So uh, I'm not sure it is an approach worth taking. I do think you need like 50 plus power at almost every position to be a starting caliber player for a playoff team. I don't think Mitchell has that. Um, and I, I don't think that pursuing like contact for contact's sake, uh, like pursuing basically batting average is a good idea. Uh, he can be, he's super fast. He's a good defender. He can be useful. But it, as an organizational philosophy, uh, I would like to see what their, their math and schematics actually say about that approach um, because I'm not sure it's the best idea. Well, and it is telling that at the major league level, that is not how they've approached things yeah, at all. No kidding. Like, well, right, at, yeah. at least to this point, though, I would you can look at some guys and say, well, actually, the guys that they've brought in in recent years, uh, Tellez is a below average strikeout guy in terms of he, he strikes out at a below average clip. I don't know if people realize that, but it is he is better than average in terms of striking out. And some of the other guys that you look at, I, I posted in that thread a list of the strikeout rates of, of where the Brewers at are at this year. And like they have sort of been prioritized. McCutcheon is well below the league average in terms of his strikeout rate. Like they have prioritized it to a point, but they've also brought it. Well, and Hunter Renfro is right about the average. Like I I was actually surprised he doesn't strike out more than he does. That was somewhat of a shock, but yeah, it's, it's a very interesting approach. And whether they make it work at the big league level, I, I still think that they are focused on getting power. Like they like having power up and down the lineup. It's more about that they're they're going to try to get these guys that they have selected for these reasons to hit for more power to try to bring power out of their game from a developmental standpoint. And this is not the only thing they're doing. They also drafted Joey Weimer, who was a high strikeout guy, like a really high strikeout guy, <laughs> right? And yeah. they have now really gotten him. And if you haven't noticed this, I don't know if we've brought it up on the podcast yet, but his swing decisions seem to have gotten a lot better. And if that's really what's going on in the second half of the season since he got to AAA, if his swing decisions have gotten a lot better, watch out because he's now like at a 20% strikeout rate along with his hitting for power and taking walks and all of that. So 
there's there's something going on with him where he may be transforming himself into a better hitter. And that is yeah. the the coaching up of swing decisions is the like it's like the the final boss of uh, hitting development, right? If you can coach up swing decisions in guys, that is an incredibly strong thing. And it's basically like you, Paul, you've read the MVP, MVP machine. I don't know, James, oh, yeah. if you have. But like that was a big key to the Dodgers becoming so good as an organization was getting hitting coaches, not even inside the organization, but like guys outside associated like they were getting guys to make better swing decisions. And it was transformative in a number of players games, right? One last Patreon question before we wrap things up this week. It comes from Price Trozen, who actually says, no question this week, but I'm heartened that Willie Adamas has taken to the hashtag untucking at the end of wins, and I'm hoping <laughs> it annoys Wayno in Pujols. Uh, that, that's a blast from the past, the the untucking thing. And, and I, Paul, I'm in favor of anything that annoys the Cardinals, especially oh, I, if it's Wayno and Pujols. Absolutely. Um, to, uh, anything that makes them mad is good, and um, it was all that it was Mike Cameron's thing, and it was always dumb that it was controversial at all. And that's my favorite. Yes. The, the best things that annoy St. Louis are things that are objectively not offensive that they just decide to take offense <laughs> to. So that is the way to go. Um, also, um, uh, the Brewers are obviously not going to catch the Cardinals, um, no. but it would be cool if the Cardinals went in the tank for eight games in a row because they actually have a hard schedule. But then it wouldn't be cool because they play the Pirates six times to end the season. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's, that's why, kind that's of my happening. nightmare scenario. Yeah. Well, it might happen because it's a nightmare scenario. Like, you, <laughs> this is the darkest it, timeline. They lose six in a row. You catch up. You're down two. You play them twice. You sweep them. You tie them. And then they go play the Pirates six times in a row and just beat the tar out of them. That's, that's my nightmare scenario to finish the season. So, need something to annoy them to ensure that doesn't happen. You know what the dream scenario is? happy flighting those SOBs at the end of the season. That is the dream scenario. Knocking them out of the playoffs yeah. and then shoving the happy. Maybe we somebody trap a squirrel and throw it on the field and let it run I mean, around a little bit and like It's not going to happen, but yes, that would be lovely. No, I mean like that is the dream. That is the 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 absolute best way this could all go is to to do that crap to them because you know, those guys were all on that team. They were all on that team in 2011 yeah. and they they were around and they were all that speaking of uh grievances from what the the Larusa era Cardinals did you see the <laughs> Seth a decade ago yeah did you yeah. see the Seth McClung thing this weekend oh yeah I did his tweet about how he got suspended he su successfully appealed a suspension for hitting Albert Pools yeah did he tell the story yeah. I missed it I don't believe he's told the story yet he said he would do it like at the end of the season or the something like if he got to the whatever requisite number of followers it is and the thing is he can he could say this but we already kind of know the deal because Ray King spilled the beans you know well over a decade ago about what was going on that they the Brewers knew, the entire dugout knew that they had put the hit sign on Prince Fielder because Ray King was a Cardinal the year before, so he knew the hit sign. So that mm. they they knew that they had ordered a hit of Prince Fielder early in the game. And so <laughs> when it came late in the game, and they were going to walk Pujols, this is the thing that always gets missed about this, is that, God, the fact that I remember this is so sad, but the <laughs> fact that they had a base open and Pujols was literally the only guy in that lineup that was doing anything. So they were yeah. going to intentionally walk 
him. So the, the thing was, is like, okay, we're going to intentionally walk Pujols. Well, given that the entire dugout knew that they had put the hit sign on Fielder earlier in the game, and they were going to intentionally IBB Pujols anyway, I do not advocate hitting players. But in that situation, in like baseball, especially the way baseball was really back then i think they, they kind of had to hit him like there was really a choice they're not gonna intentionally walk the guy when that set of circumstances has come around when you're just gonna uh, you know plunk the guy in the ass and then it all fell apart and everybody lost their minds and it was you know ned yost's one of his final swan song moments and all of that whatever <laughs> but the point was is that like they knew that a hit sign had been put on Prince Fielder. So I, I yep. imagine that's part of this is that like they turned around and said to MLB, well, yeah, that the hit sign was given. <laughs> so, but I'm there, maybe there's more to it than just that, but we, we do know at least that much about that game. And if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what I'm talking about, just, I don't <laughs> like, how do you even find that? It was in the end of the 2007 season. It was in the, the I was final say, that dying was even days of pre, that. Pre-2008, that was, yeah, mm-hmm. Brewers were already out of it, so screw it. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been the tiny little bones hit of pool holes, which is my personal favorite. Oh, that <laughs> one was. situation. I don't know. <sighs> yep. That's a classic. <laughs> that is truly a classic, yeah. Albert Pujols, tiny little bird bones in his hands, yeah. Yes. Oh. Uh, and then the ribbon boards, and it, it's. All of it. Yeah. All of, yeah, it, all of that kind of missed Tony La Russa, even though he somehow like got shadow fired by the White Sox. That's a weird situation. <laughs> I was going to say, you know who's not missing Tony La Russa? Miguel Cairo <laughs> the and Sox. the Chicago White Sox. They are loving it. Kind of surging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, man. Uh, that's that's true. Miguel Cairo is going to get a managing job out of it. So mm-hmm. As cool. he should. Like, yeah. And there's a name that, you know, if you were like us and watched a ton of Brewers Cardinals games back then. Miguel yeah. Carrero was a person that you came to be annoyed by because he wasn't that good, but yet he was always seemingly a pain in the ass. Always. Indeed uh, he was. Epitome of a Cardinal. All right, that'll do it for Patreon questions this week. A reminder, you get question priority when you're a patron, and you also get a shout-out on the podcast when you sign up to become a patron. So go to patreon.com slash tailgate if you haven't already for as little as 2 bucks a month. And uh, Ryan, who's our new patron you would like to <laughs> shout-out this week? So I sent you guys this one when it came in, and you I did. saw it. Uh, yeah, welcome to Throb Zombie. Uh, to, to the yeah, here. this is definitely one of Paul's football ones. Oh, sure, it's play. It's always the football when it's <laughs> when it's an off-color name. Yeah, so um, I don't know what what more human than human jokes can you make here? I don't oh, even boy, I remember the song yeah. that well. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's riding the back of my Dragula. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Thank you, Throb Zombie, for joining up and uh, mm-hmm. look forward to your questions uh, incoming on the Packers podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, yeah. Bring it on. Feel so numb. All right. Uh, I'll do it for this week. But before we go, we'd like to ask you to leave a review and a rating for this podcast on Apple Podcasts. A reminder, Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. Uh, doesn't look like we've got any new reviews this week, but nope. uh, there you go. So, Feel free to go over to Apple Podcasts, hit that five-star button, leave a comment there as well, and Paul will read it next week if we get any. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button, follow button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you get your podcasts. 
Uh, we will wrap things up here for this week, but kind of recap how the playoff race is shaping up here next week as well. And if there's a bright side, it's the Vikings are getting their ass kicked on Monday Night Football. So, Boy, and how. Uh, yeah, yeah. Primetime Kirk, baby. Love to see it. Uh, so stay tuned, too, on the network for reporting as eligible later this week. In the meantime, everybody, stay well. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time here on Milwaukee's Tailgate.